2. In Luke chapter 2, we're going to be looking at verses 21 to 40. Verses 21 to 40. could speak to the children for a moment before we read God's holy word. Children, have you ever been lost in a supermarket and for a moment you don't know where your parents have gone? Or perhaps the older people here remember a time when that happened to you. Perhaps you were walking through a forest and for a moment you can't see your father or your mother. What goes through your mind when things like that happen? It's a bit scary. Fear. Where do they go? And some, no doubt, perhaps there's tears. There's sadness. Where is my mother? And where is my father? Have you ever walked into a supermarket and you find a child alone crying? I know I've seen it a few times. You walk through supermarkets and it's like, where's my mommy? Where's my daddy? They might be about six, they might be about seven years old. But what happens when they see their father or their mother again? Joy. Relief. Oh, this fear that came over them. It's all gone. And why is that? Why is there that joy and that sweet relief when they can see their father or their mother again? Because here is the one they trust. Here is the one that they look to for safety and for comfort. Here is the one that brings them joy. Now, we're going to look in our text here this morning at someone who brings us far greater joy than anyone could on this earth. The Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one in whom we are to trust. And he is the one in whom we are to find sweet relief, sweet comfort, and sweet joy in him. He is our refuge. He is the one that keeps us safe in times of trouble. The true and living God, who is true God and True man, the Lord Jesus Christ. So let us read now from God's holy word. Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 21 down to verse 40. Let us hear God's holy word. And when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now, when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons." And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. 
and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at these things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Jerusalem, or in Israel, and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also. The thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Now there was one, Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Panuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke to him, to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. So when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own city, Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom. And the grace of God was upon him. And may the Lord bless the reading of his holy and infallible word. Our title for this morning's message is Seeing the Messiah. Seeing the Messiah. The ability to see, the ability to look, is a great blessing from Almighty God. It's a precious gift from God. I'm sure many of you remember a time in your life, maybe when you were a child, when you were afraid of the dark. Perhaps you still are afraid of the dark. You hear some strange noise and it makes you jump. Is there something strange lurking behind there? Something scary. We fear the unknown, don't we? We fear the unknown, many of us. Why do we fear the dark? Many of us. Because when we cannot see. We cannot see. And people who cannot see, they walk around in darkness. In darkness. And in this world, without the grace of God, we would all walk around in spiritual darkness and blindness. 
not only that, we would love to do so. We would enjoy it. For men love darkness rather than light. Don't we all need to be able to see, not just with physical eyes, but with the eye of faith, looking toward Jesus Christ, to see the wonders of Christ and the ugliness of sin. To see who Christ is and to love him makes us not love sin anymore. Makes us turn from it. And we need to see our need for this Messiah in our text. Our Messiah, Jesus, in our text is very young. He is but a child, a baby. But he's not just any child. Not just any child. He'd be the one who would bring salvation for his people. He would be the one who served his father in heaven faithfully in every moment of his life upon the earth. And who died in order that God would look upon this earth and in eternity and take delight in sinners who have been washed clean by the blood of the Lamb and clothed in his perfect righteousness. That God would find delight in sinners like you and I. Eyesight is such a great blessing to be able to see. And, and people who've had their eyesight taken from them, they realize what a great blessing it is to be able uh, to see. But there's the most glorious thing any of us will ever see. The Lord Jesus Christ. To see his glories. To see how he suffered. To see him as he is. As we will one day do in eternity. Our first point that we're going to look at here this morning in our text is seeing satisfaction. Seeing satisfaction. Now, this is not satisfaction toward men, but toward God. Toward God. Our first few verses from verse 21. And when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child... His name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And then there's a number of other things that are according to the law of Moses, or could also think according to the law of God. And when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were complete, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. These are all things before the Lord. It says in verse 23, every male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. Now this is all part of the ceremonial law now done away. But at the same time, the ceremonial law places before us in almost like a picture form, the gospel. The need for a substitute in our place. The need for personal holiness. Now that holiness we get from another not from ourselves. But he needed to be circumcised, as we see in verse 21. Why is that? Have we ever thought about that question? Why did Jesus, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God, need to be circumcised? Surely this is for sinners only. Uh, What does circumcision point towards? Uh, The removing of the filth of the flesh. Cutting away. Removing. And... uh, It signifies and seals a new birth. 
the scriptures talk about how we need a circumcised heart. It says in Romans 2 verses 28 and 29. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly. Nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly. Inwardly. And circumcision is, is that of the heart. In the spirit. Not in the letter. Whose praise is not from men. But from God. So this is talking about a circumcision of the heart. A new heart. Where we now have a heart of flesh. And no longer a heart of stone. Born again. Of the spirit of almighty God. In the New Testament, we no longer have circumcision. Circumcision has been replaced with baptism. New Testament baptism. And baptism, what does it picture? The washing away, doesn't it? The washing away of the the outside filth of the flesh. A picture of our need to be washed clean. A picture of our need to be made new. Now, John the Baptist, when Jesus came To be baptized by John the Baptist struggled, didn't he? Remember that. He struggled with the idea, why are you coming to me to be baptized? John was thinking, I need to be baptized by you. This is what it says here in Matthew 3, verses 13 to 15. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And you were coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. To fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. Jesus came to keep the law. To identify with his people of the seed of Abraham. And to keep the law in our place. Of course, he was not a sinner, but he was not obeying the law for his own sake, but for in the place of sinners like you and I. So his righteousness, which he fulfilled, becomes ours by faith. He kept the law so that this service would be pleasing before God. Have you ever thought about this? How can God take delight in his children when we're sinners? Think about this. We are sinners God cannot behold and look positively in delight upon sin or sinners. It is only because of Jesus Christ that God can delight in us at all. What did God the Father say of God the Son? It says in Luke 3.22, And the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven which said, You are my Beloved son. And in the original the word beloved is really emphasized. In you I am well pleased. In you I delight. In you you are sweet smelling aroma before the throne room of heaven. The law was kept by Christ. this, This Jesus. True man and true God. In every point. All that the law Required so that there would be satisfaction before the throne room of grace. So that what God was seeing 
was something delightful to him and something he could take pleasure in. And how does this obedience of Christ become ours? By faith. We read it earlier in Romans chapter 3. By faith. It's not our act of faith that does this. We look toward the one who is the satisfaction for sin. We look toward the one who is the one who is just. The just died for the unjust. By faith, my dear friends. By faith alone. It says in Romans 1.17. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written. The just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. For we have broken the law of God. We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And unless and until our sin is dealt with. How can God, the unchangeable God, the one who is love, the one who is righteousness, the one who is the source of truth and light and everything good, how can he look upon a sinner in a positive way? He cannot. He cannot. Often, sometimes when we think of God, we we can change God to make him who we want him to be. We must accept him as he is, as he has revealed himself. In Psalm 5, 5, it says, The boastful shall not stand in your sight. You hate all workers of iniquity. All workers of iniquity. Another way of saying that is, he he does not take delight. He does not have well-pleasing love for the person who is not in Jesus Christ. And unless and until... There is a perfect righteousness standing before him. Unless and until he sees holiness. He can't delight in it. He cannot delight in it. The father delights in his son. He delights in his perfect law keeping. And this is. Again look at this picture we see in verse 23. Every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. It must be holy. Before God. Again, this is a picture of what is required before Almighty God. We need to look toward Him, don't we? The one who kept this law perfectly in every point. Number two now, seeing salvation. Seeing salvation. So in Christ, the Father sees the righteousness that He delights in. That satisfies him. Now we too don't we. With the eye of faith. Need to look toward him. In whom the father delights in. And we too need to delight. In that same son. Jesus Christ. And friends. When we've got eyes that are opened. We don't need to be convinced. Of how glorious something is. You just see it and behold. He is glorious. He is wonderful. The problem is, friends, when, be it yesterday's sad example of the, the pride parade in Belfast, these people are blind. They can't see. They can't see how wonderful Jesus Christ is because of the slavery to sin. And they can't see how ugly their own sin is. But we need to pray that people would have eyes to see. 
and ears to hear in our generation. Verse 25, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Christ, the child Jesus, to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, and then verse 30 he says, for my eyes have seen your salvation. My eyes have seen your salvation. Now somehow, through the Holy Spirit, Simeon here is told he will not see death. Until he sees with his own eyes his salvation. He's waiting, isn't he? He has an earnest expectation, a hope of the coming of the consolation of of Israel. And that is the seed of David, the son of David, the one who will sit upon his throne, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he gets to see the Lord's Christ Now often we can think about that term Christ as if it's a surname. But the word Christ means anointed one. The word Christ can also be Messiah. The Messiah. The the Savior. And that word Lord can also be understood in terms of Jehovah. The, The Hebrew word Jehovah. When that is translated into Greek and English it can be Lord. So this is the Jehovah's Messiah, the anointed one of the covenant Lord of heaven and earth. The one who is in control of all things. Now, these were times of various revelation. I think if we're looking through the, the Gospels and the book of Acts, we see revelation being shared toward different people. But this was a different time They had the law and the prophets, of course, which was the Old Testament. And you'll know that from Genesis all the way up to Malachi. They had the written word. But they also had other forms of revelation at that time. But we shouldn't expect that here today. It says in Hebrews 1, verses 1 and 2, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets... Basically, another way to say that, in in the past, Paul is writing to the Hebrews, God wrote or transmitted revelation in various different ways. But in verse 2 it says this, Has in these last days spoken to us by his Son. He has spoken to us by his Son. We have today everything we need because his Son has come. The revelation has been complete. We are in those last days. Paul, when he wrote to the Hebrews, was in those last days. And we're in these last days still today, 2,000 years later. God has spoken. God is not the author of confusion. Now God communicated to Simeon, making it clear to him that his own eyes would see God's salvation. And then he would leave this world. The one who would take away the sin of the world. In verse 30 again. For my eyes. 
My eyes have seen your salvation. Now, Simeon sees with his own eyes the one in whom all hope is. The one in whom all that is needed to save us. Now, we have not physically seen Jesus, have we? But have you seen him with the eye of faith? Have you seen him? Have you seen how wonderful he is? Has it been shown to you by the Holy Spirit in the word of God? How truly delightful Jesus Christ is. And we may not have that same degree of joy that Simeon had at that moment when he held Jesus. But do we have a joy when we think of Jesus? When we think of who he is and what he has done for us. And how he has rescued us from the miry clay and set our feet upon a rock. How he is the light that shines on our path. Otherwise we're in absolute darkness. Here there is real hope. A real expectation of the glory through him. If we delight in Jesus Christ. If we see him. And with the eye of faith we too can say this. For my eyes have seen your salvation. With joy we can say this. Here is our safety. Here is the one we trust in. Here is the one we delight in. It's not like the hope of this world. The hope of this world is blind and darkness. And in seeing salvation there is joy, peace, a relief that comes. If you remember earlier before we read the scriptures, uh, the, the child who is lost in the supermarket cannot find their parents. The joy and the relief that happens when they find their father or their mother again. Or they're lost in the middle of the forest and behind some trees they finally find the person in whom they seek their refuge. Well here is an even greater joy and an even greater safety. A greater love. This is to be our our, our supreme love. Where we find our comfort in times of trouble, in times of distress. A light, it says in verse 32, Simeon said, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. The glory of your people, Israel. And when you're walking through darkness, unless you love darkness, when you see light, you will delight in it. Think about that. We have a world, a fallen world, full of darkness. This is why in 1 John he warns those who love this world. The love of the Father is not in him. Why is that? Because you love darkness if that is the case. And if you see light at the distance what would you do? You will run toward it because here is light. Here is safety. But sin, those who love sin do not run to the light. And it is only if God shows them pity to give them eyes to see and ears to hear. All this, friends, it it doesn't make a lot of sense, does it, in some ways. How could people love darkness? But that's what sin does. It corrupts. It changes what we love. And it can do that even if we're saved Christians. We've got to be very careful. Sin is very dangerous. We tell children not to play with fire. We must also not play with fire. 
we must look toward with the eye of faith, toward the one who is our life, our resurrection, our hope. Uh, number three now, seeing security. Seeing security. So we've looked at seeing satisfaction, seeing salvation, now seeing security. Now, it is a great blessing that the Christian who has confidence that he is trusting in Jesus Christ and that Jesus Christ will bring him home. The great privilege of that Christian is that he will die well. He will die with a smile on his face, knowing he will be with his Savior forever and ever. I think it was John Wesley who said that the Christians die well. But how do we have hope? Not just a hope in a kind of a general hope that people use that term. An expectation. That when we leave this world, all that God has promised us will surely come to pass. We look at this world, it's, it's full of dangers and crimes and things that go wrong from our point of view. But nothing is outside of the control of God. We cannot know the future. But God knows all things. He's foreseen everything that has come to pass. The good and the bad. The future is certain from God's point of view. It is sure, it is certain. In verse 33 of our text. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel. And for a sign which will be spoken against. And Simeon also knew this, that Mary would suffer through all this as well. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also. That the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. We often worry about the future, don't we? Many of us do. It's very common for us to forget who is in control. We certainly are not in control of the future. Can the attacks of the enemy or anything else stop what has been destined, which will destined to happen by the hand of God? If it can be stopped, if God's purposes can be stopped, he is not God. The true God does whatever he pleases. He declares the end from the beginning. Remember, dear friends, our God is not the God of popular culture. He's not the God of people's imagination. He is the unchangeable, the unchanging God who never, ever changes. It says in Isaiah Chapter 46, verses 9 to 11. Remember the former things of old. For I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, things that are not yet done. Saying, my counsel shall stand. And I will do all my pleasure. Calling a bird of prey from the east. The man who executes my counsel from a far country. Indeed, I have spoken it. I will also bring it to pass. 
I have proposed it. I will also do it. He has spoken it. It will come to pass as we maybe think back to creation week. Let there be light. And there was light. He spoke it into existence. Everything that there is around us, everything in creation, the the heavens and the earth, everything has been created by God, spoken into existence by God. And to believe that He is God, that to believe that this Jesus is true God and true man, is to believe what He says will happen in the future, doesn't it? If we believe that He is God, if we believe He is the one who sustains life, and He's led us up to this point faithfully as He has, believe what He says about the future. Believe what he says about the future. It says in Luke 12 verses 32 to 34. Do not fear little flock. For it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell what you have and give alms. Provide yourselves money bags which do not grow old. A treasure in the heavens that does not fail. Where no thief approaches nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is. There your heart will be also. Do not fear, little flock. For it is your father's good pleasure. It pleases the father to give you the kingdom. How can we trust this? Because he is almighty, isn't he? Almighty, all powerful. He does everything he promises. Every single thing. Let us not doubt the promises of God. Though there may be future promises and we may be thinking, mm, can I really say that? Oh dear friends, it's this and far more beyond anything we can imagine or think. Everything in your life today is from the hands of God. Every breath that is going in and out of your body right now, that's by the hand of God. Every beat of your heart is by God's good pleasure. Everything in our lives, good or bad, even the bad things, we may not see that at the time, but there are good, holy and just reasons why God allows these things into our lives. To teach us, in the midst of sadness, that He is the most important thing, the most important one in our lives those, pain, those lessons can be painful. But they are necessary for our good. What God has prophesied will happen. Simeon believed this. Simeon believed this. He knew from the scriptures that this Messiah, this suffering servant, as he's revealed in Isaiah 53, would suffer many things. He would suffer it says again, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign which will be spoken against. He speaks of the opposition of the nation, and that leading to great anguish and suffering for Mary. Now, Mary did not suffer in the same way Christ did. But what would happen here that would lead to such anguish? is that the animosity, the hatred that this nation had, because it had drifted from God, 
toward the Messiah who came would lead to the death of God's only begotten Son. At that time, many appeared outwardly religious, but they had a hatred toward God. It's a scary thought, isn't it? As we think about even what has happened recently to Scotland, the the massive decline, a country that God has blessed mightily over many hundreds of years. And even in this part of the world, in Northern Ireland, let us not think that the same thing cannot happen. That period of time, nearly everybody was religious and were trying to make it seem like they were following God in some way, shape, or form. But Simeon, as one commentator put it, Simeon discerned beneath the outward forms of Jewish piety, their love for human glory, their hypocrisy, avarice, and hatred of God. And he perceives that this child will prove the occasion for all this hidden Venom being poured forth from the recesses of their heart, unquote. Our final point we're going to look at now is seeing suffering. Seeing suffering. There was a suffering to come. And for, for many of them, they were thinking of, yes, here is the one, here is the great king who would come. Jesus, the Christ But the idea of him coming to suffer and die just seemed so strange to them. Many in that day, like today, had the wrong view of who the Messiah was. In verse 34, remind ourselves, a sign that will be spoken against for the rise and and the fall and rising of many in Israel. But here we have another Anna, the prophetess, looking toward Jesus with the eye of faith. Verse 36, now there was one Anna prophetess, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age and had lived with 107 years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 80 Four years, who did not depart from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers day and night. And coming in that instant, this is the instant, instant we were looking at, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. She also got to see the Savior and got to rejoice until all those who are also looking toward him. All those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. She saw the importance of the coming Messiah. But she also saw something else. Something harder to see. She fasted much as we see in our text. Verse 37 once again. And this woman was a widow of about... 84 years who did not depart from the temple. Now, she was a woman of of a certain age that allowed her to dedicate her life to prayer toward God. And I know of such saints, and they're a wonderful blessing to God. Perhaps the Lord has taken away your physical ability to work outside the home, but the Lord has also presented you with a wonderful opportunity 
prayer. There are wonderful people in the church. We don't know how much they pray. But here is an example of Anna who prays much. But she's also fasting. We don't think about fasting a lot these days, do we? And we haven't in the church for a long time. But fasting was always to do with a time of crisis. If we think of two examples here, one from Nehemiah. Nehemiah hears bad news from Jerusalem and the the, the state of the city. And this is his reaction in Nehemiah 1 verse 4. So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. We think also, you could take another example of Daniel with the crisis of the nation. Daniel says this in Daniel 9.3, Then I set my face toward the Lord God to make requests by prayer and supplication with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. Times of Christ. And fasting is still appropriate. If you get that phone call and you hear somebody seriously sick, or if you hear of some other emergency, that is a time for fasting and prayer before God. But what crisis was taking place here? Many of them didn't know God. Many of them were not looking for redemption in Jerusalem. Sure, there were some, but as a whole, how did it end? Jesus was placed on a cross, a Roman cross. Yes, he came to die. But it was the animosity of the people who put him there as well. Anna was happy to speak of him to those who looked for redemption. But she saw a time of crisis. Something was wrong in the nation. And she saw the great need of this Messiah. She saw our only hope is in him. And she spends much time mourning Think about this. She's spending day and night in the temple. Serving God with fastings. Day and night and day. And she has a moment to rejoice. A moment to rejoice over this coming king. How many. How many in our own generation. Perhaps outwardly religious. Just as much as they were at this time are living amongst us who don't know Jesus. How many of them, perhaps even over the last two years, have stopped coming to church? Now, we can't drag people to church or do anything like that, but we can pray for these people. We can encourage them. We can point towards the Savior just like Anna did, just like Simeon did. We can say, without him, there is no hope. No matter how nice our neighbors may be. No matter how wonderful they may be at times. Unless and until they're trusting in Jesus Christ. They have no hope. Unless they're trusting in Jesus Christ. Really they are. At a time of crisis. And perhaps. It would be right. To fast and pray. For many of our neighbors. For many of our neighbors. This is what she did with our free time. Not all of us will be able to do this. We have jobs, farms, different things. But the way often of following Christ in this world can be 
unpleasant at times. It, it involves suffering. It is a way of suffering. The way of Jesus is the way of the cross. Peter struggled with this idea. So much so that Christ had to rebuke him and say, Get thee behind me, Satan. Are we willing to follow Christ? No matter the cost. And that means we're also willing to suffer. Suffer loss. Suffer trials. Suffer difficulties. Suffer things that we wouldn't normally choose for ourselves. And we will only willingly do so if we see him. If we see how wonderful he is. If we see how glorious he is. Not just with physical eyes but with the eye of faith. That he is a willing saviour. Willing to, to embrace. If you are here this morning and you do not know Jesus. He is willing to save you. If you come to him by faith and by faith alone. Forsaking your sin. He will save you today. Right this moment. He will keep you. Until that day. Presenting you faultless on the last day. This Jesus Christ in all he promises. Will never Ever disappoint. He will do exactly what he says he will do. He satisfies the thirsty soul. He satisfies in a way that nothing else in this world can. And can we think of other things in this world that have promised much and left us with more thirst and more pain? Jesus satisfies. Come to him. Come to him this day. Amen.